Lord, it's been a great morning, and we've been reminded of what the religious do when the prodigal comes home. And Lord, we're about to teach from that same narrative in Luke 15 to our 11 o'clock service. And Lord, when our one comes home, are we excited about him or her, or are we jealous, or are we resentful? Father, these are things that are living, breathing testimonies of who we are. So, Father, I pray that these next few moments that each one of us would look in the mirror and consider where we've been, where we are, and where we are headed. Father, we're asking that you would save someone today. It was a specific prayer in the prayer time this morning that salvation would come to this house. So Father, now hide your preacher behind the cross, turn us loose and let us preach, we ask and plead in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Greg. I'm not embellishing, it's been a great morning. We have been blessed and that song helps to put it into proper perspective that if he never did anything else for me, I'm a blessed guy. And if you would be honest with yourself, if no other blessings ever came your way again, his grace is enough to see us through. When we started this series a couple of months ago now, had no idea it was going to continue and to morph into what it has come to. And Today, we talk about not only who is your one, but what not to do when the one comes home. You say, Joel, what are you talking about? Most of the time when we read Luke chapter 15, we, we read about the, the lost coin. We, we read about you know, the lost brother, but then we stop and we don't get the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey used to give us the rest of the story. The rest of the story of Luke 15 is how do religious people respond when the prodigal son comes home? Or maybe in your case, the prodigal daughter. When you and I see people in our families and our circle of friends that are just starting to have a train wreck and they're running off the rails and then they do. And then we pray, we go to prayer meeting, we put their name on a prayer list and then God rescues and restores them. What do we do when that happens? Do we celebrate it? Do we go to the party? Or are we jealous at the attention that's now given to them instead of given to us? Now I wanna tether last week about the younger brother with this week's about the older brother. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, or your Kindle, turn with me to Luke 15 and look at verse 23 and 24. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. More than likely, word spread quickly. And then there is this full-fledged feast and party going on, complete with music and dancing. They must not have been Baptist, amen? All to celebrate the restoration of this younger son. 
this younger brother coming home. I've seen it for almost 31 years in ministry. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. And you and I have no right to point our finger at someone and say they're a lost cause. There's no way that he or she will ever come back. There's no way that they'll ever get saved. They've been too evil. They've been too mean. They've been too sinful. Praise God that none of us are out of the reach of the Lord today. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. But see, this younger brother, remember last week, it says he came to himself. He knew that there was abundant food to spare, but then he found out that there was grace to spare. Do you give grace to others when they wrong you? Whether it's intentional or unintentional is really unimportant. Because all of us are human and our tongue gets in front of our brains and we say things and we say hurtful things and, and, and painful things to family and friends alike. But all of us have grace to spare because we've been given so much. That's why you may be on polar opposite spectrums on a certain subject or politic or ball team or whatever and you can still love each other because you have grace to spare so before I leave this part of the message there is no evil that the father's love cannot pardon and cover and there is no sin that is a match for his grace and all the people said you see a lot of us who've been forgiven much we love much. I've been around people over the years that say, man, Joel, if you only knew what all I've done. It's not important if I know it or not. But what I do know is that none of us are beyond his reach and his grasp if we're willing to repent of our sins and come back home. Go back to the text with me. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So evidently, they were getting with it, amen? They were really, really celebrating. They were having a party because the boy who was lost was now found. He had come back home. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. I humbly believe that if that older brother had been in the right frame of mind and in his walk with Christ the way that he should be, he would have celebrated as well. He would have been so joyful that his wayward little brother had come home. But now we read the indictment of Scripture. But he was angry and he refused to go in. You ever been there? Have you ever been upset because maybe you were garnering the attention because you were doing good things and then the prodigal comes home and begins to steal your glory? Begins to steal the limelight a little bit. Oh, everybody's coming up to them instead of coming up to you. 
And over time, you start resenting that and you get bitter about it. So what does the older brother do? Well, now it's his turn to disgrace the father. He refuses to go into the party. He remains outside the door. He is voted against his father by not going in. So this forces the hand of the dad to have to go out from the party and all of his guests and the son that was lost and is now found and try to convince the older brother to come into the party. Look at verse 28b. His father came out and entreated him. It means he pleaded with. He pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Ah, it's coming clear now. He's jealous. He wants what his little brother now has. Even though his little brother had gone out and almost died because of his own foolishness, but now he's ticked. But when this son of yours came, he's no longer his little brother. Now it's your son. I hear parents do that a lot. When your son or daughter's doing right, that's my boy. Then they do something wrong, that's your kid. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Hmm. I have written in my notes, why is the older brother so furious? Few things. I think he's thinking about the cost of the party. Here's my little brother. He's already taken a third of the inheritance and now dad is splurging on this party. Well, greed comes into play. Well, then how it looks. We were made a mockery of in the community when he left and now he's come back and dad's opened up his arms to him. So it's hurt his pride a little bit. And then he threw out that old bottom lip. You never threw a party for me. He was jealous. And I know sometimes sibling rivalry does that. This one receives something that you didn't get and you go, what's the deal? Why, why, did I, why didn't I get that? Why didn't I receive that? So then the end result is he treats his father by rebelling against him and dishonoring him. I think sometimes we do that spiritually. When you and I know better, but because our feelings have been hurt and it didn't go our way, we wind up being rebellious. We wind up dishonoring God. The older brother says, you never gave me a goat for a party. How dare you give him the fattened calf? So the father, by bringing the younger brother back into the family, he's made him an heir again. With a claim once again to one third of their now very diminished family wealth. And the elder brother is upset. It's now getting into his bank account. You know what, when, when dad dies and, and all the stuff is divvied out again, he's gonna wind up getting another one third. That's not fair. Where's the justice? How many of us are old enough to now realize that life sometimes isn't fair? Of course. He looks at his dad and says, I've never disobeyed you. I've got rights. In fact, he's probably thinking, you had no right to unilaterally 
throw a party and spend all this money. However, the father is within his rights to do what he wants with what is his. I didn't get what I wanted this past week. A friend of mine and a friend of David and Renee's and others died of pancreatic cancer. I went with 13 deacons from Bethlehem Baptist Church two weeks ago and anointed our friend with oil and we prayed over him. And we asked God to touch him and heal him and the Lord gave him the ultimate healing and he brought him on home to heaven. I didn't get what I wanted. Our father is within his rights to do what he wants with what is his. And we got to be willing to trust him even when we don't like it. Even when it doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to turn out, we are willing to trust him. And we're talking about a culture where a lot of respect, a lot of deference to parents and elders was important. I think now this rebellion of the older brother is outrageous. I think it's a modern day equivalent here in 2019 of a son or a daughter writing a humiliating tell-all memoir that intends to destroy the reputation or career of the parent. Now you would think this dad is about fed up. My younger boy went out and spent all his money with prostitutes and partying and buying rounds for everybody at the pub. And now my older son is, is acting up and he's being disrespectful and dishonoring to me. What will the father do? Because in that Middle Eastern culture, he could have had that boy stoned to death. He could have had his name removed from him and been cast out off the property and given no inheritance whatsoever. But you know what this father does? He responds with grace. Just like our Heavenly Father does to us when we're acting up. Aren't you glad? I know that I am. When I think things I shouldn't think, when I say things I shouldn't say, when my feet take me places that I should not go, He imparts to me grace and mercy and gives me peace. Look at verse 31 and 32. It says, And He said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. He's saying, I'm not just talking about the two-thirds. I'm talking about everything I've got is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. I think that dad's looking at his boys and going, I didn't disown him and I'm not going to disown you. So swallow your pride Get in this party and let's celebrate that your little brother has come home. Now here's where the story is interesting because verse 32 is the end of the chapter. And verse 1 of chapter 16 does not address it. So the choice is yours. Will you follow the father into the party and celebrate that the loss is now found and one who is dead is alive again, or will we not? So we have the tale of two brothers, same coin, same family, but one on one side or they're on the other. Maybe you've got this in your family. The younger brother 
Jesus gives us a depiction of sin that all of us can recognize. He's a wild child. I want my money, and I'm going to go party. And he did. That's some of us in this room. We've been there and done that. He humiliates his family. His life becomes self-indulgent. He's totally out of control. Some of us know some people right now, they're the younger brother. And they may be a mature man or woman, but yet they're living this way and they're out of control. But on the other side is the older brother. Painstakingly obedient to the father. Every command, he says, yes, sir. Completely under control, self-disciplined. So we got two sons, one bad by conventional standards, and then the one good, yet both of them are alienated to their father. Why? I think their hearts were the same. I think they were manipulators. One who would manipulate by being a wild child, the other one manipulating the father by being self-disciplined. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. How many of us do that spiritually? Lord, I went to church Sunday, so you got to answer my prayer. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand if you've ever thought that. Lord, I'm singing in the choir, so therefore you got to answer my prayer the way that I want you to answer my prayer. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't make deals. Both of these boys were alienated from the father's heart. Both of them were prodigals. They were trying to see what they could get from their dad. Because if you seek to control God through your obedience, then all of your morality is just a way to use God to make him give you the things in life that you want. You're saying, I've been good, therefore you owe me. God doesn't owe us anything. And the sooner you and I mature and grow up in our walk with Jesus Christ and realize that, the better off we're going to be. This elder brother's spirit obeys God to get stuff. So I go to Sunday school to get stuff. I go to worship to get stuff. I go into the ministry to get stuff. You see, when you flip the coin again, the younger son's flight from the father was crashingly obvious. He left the father literally. He left the home place. He left the campus physically and morally. But the older brother stayed at home, but he was actually more distant and alienated from the father than his brother was. Why? He was blind to his own condition. He thought I was doing all the right stuff, so therefore my father ought to bless me. I obeyed all the rules. I kept all the regulations. I followed all the commandments. We call this legalism. The legalist will isolate the law from God who gave the law. He's not so much seeking to obey God or honor Christ as he is to obey rules to prove him or herself good. Look at all the good things I do, so therefore I'm good. And then the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. But the life of this older brother, there was no love, no joy, no passion. It was this mechanical form of law keeping that theologians call externalism. They focus only on obeying rules, destroying the broader context of God's love and redemption. And that's the reason why God gave the law in the first place. To show us that we can't be good enough to go to heaven. That's why he sent Jesus. 
Legalism adds our own rules to God's law, and then we treat them as divine. Remember Mark chapter 7? Notice it with me on the screen. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. We have no right whatsoever to create restrictions on people where God has not stated restriction. A lot of the problems that go on in our church is not because of bad theology. It's because we have preferences and we want what we want when we want it. We become extra biblical. So today, please don't make these matters the external test of authentic Christianity. Because if this is our practice, we have excluded the power of the gospel to save. So when we read God's word and we read it in Sunday school here at First Baptist, when we read it from the pulpit, which we do, when God has given liberty, we should never enslave people with man-made rules. Especially when we call them divine and they're not. There are other faith groups and other denominations that do such things. The oral law, the oral traditions. This is just the way it's always been done in our church. We have to be very careful with that. So, let me give us four questions to consider as we close. Thinking about our story, the father, the younger son who went out and did his own thing and came back, and then the older brother who never left but is prideful. Are you angry when others receive grace? Something happens. And you go, man, they need to throw the book at him. And then they let him off. Who made us judge, jury, and executioner? Now, some of us feel as if I have that right because I'm me. Well, that's a wrong perception. Now, we as parents have to raise up our children, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And hopefully when they're old, they won't depart from it. But otherwise, we have to be very careful here when we get upset or mad when somebody else gets grace and we don't. When somebody else gets forgiven and we're held accountable. I believe in those situations, God still has a plan. And maybe that person already had something going on and maybe you need to get, somebody need to get your attention. That if I'm going to trust the Lord with every fiber of my being and I know that he orders my steps and he leads me where I'm supposed to go, I've got to be willing to trust that he knows best. So I'm not to get angry when others receive grace. I'm to be grateful when they receive grace because maybe next time I will. Second question. Do you constantly evaluate whether or not you're getting what you think you deserve? You see, the older brother was legalistic. It drove him crazy that his brother was getting blessed when he should have been punished. We, we call it an economy of scale. Legalism turns us into blessing accountants. We're always looking at the scoreboard. We want to find out what the final score is, and we're only in the first quarter. So we start saying, well, one for you and two for me. And when we start living that way, we become entitled. And that entitlement is wrong. You and I deserve nothing, but we receive grace and we get mercy. Whew, thank you, Lord. 
Third question. Do you constantly compare yourself to others? I live in the right zip code, therefore I'm good and you're bad. I drive the right kind of car, I wear the right kind of clothes, therefore I'm good and you're not so good. Do you constantly compare yourself to others? You remember the story in Luke chapter 18? Pharisee, tax collector. Religious guy, really not religious guy. Luke 18, 11, 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. That's what religious Pharisees do. Look at me. I'm doing all these good things, therefore I am good. And you're a lowly tax collector. You're an extortioner. You're an adulterer. You're bad. I'm good. No. That's textbook legalism. When you and I began to believe wrongly, I might add, that by what we do, we earn or merit God's favor. Fourth and final question. Do you lack joy? I know that some of us in our relaxed state of our facial feature, we don't smile a whole lot. Joe and I cut up. Joe's mama's maiden name is Brown. And when Joe is just in a moment of repose and she's not really thinking about it, they call it the brown frown. And I'll say, hey, Joe, brown frown. She'll go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, nothing to apologize about, but I'm just, you wanted me to remind you. See, some of us need to tell our face we've got some joy. But do you lack deep abiding joy? External stimuli may make me happy. Our teams won last night, well, at least most of them. That external stimuli made us happy. But true joy comes from within. It has nothing to do with a ball game or the amount of money in our bank account or what kind of car we drive or how much square footage our house has. That true joy comes from a deep abiding walk with Jesus Christ. Legalism is the thief of joy. Because instead of us focusing upon the finished work of Jesus, the legalistic person is constantly focused on what he or she must do in order to get God to love us. And some of us are caught up in that kind of religion. I want us to be a church that's filled with joy. The joy that can only come from Jesus Christ. Regardless of what the doctor says after the biopsy. Regardless of what happens at the factory next week and we know we might get laid off. Regardless of what's going on in the lives of our sons and daughters. There's a joy that comes when it's founded and based upon Jesus. The older brother lacked joy. Now here's the bottom line and I, I want you to take this home with you. Whether we are the prodigal who left the younger brother. Or the prodigal who stayed the older brother. 
They both need Jesus. So no matter where you are today, you need Jesus. And so the caricatures that we see sometimes of individuals pointing fingers and judging others, stop it. We have no right. But what we are to do, because we've been given much grace, let us give that grace to others.